request that song anymore. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I, or a month ago, I was speaking on Psalm 91. And uh, I asked if that could be sung as a closing hymn. Nobody knows it. You don't seem to know it. That's a, such a great hymn, great we word. We know that our singing is subpar. Well, I wouldn't say it's subpar. But by the second, third time will be great. So I should keep using it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Fact, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, Dennis. Hey, man. Hey, man. <laughs> See, it comes in here. That's funny. We'll have to get a hold of Linda and tell her that her husband was bad while she was away. Well, it's so good to be with you again. The last time we were here, if you remember, uh, hardly could speak and really tired and all. And the uh, what we did, we wound up the very next day. I was I, I was having cat scan, and we were to see uh, uh, or and you no, know, it was a week later that we had the cat scan and saw the oncologist. But I was feeling so poorly, and we had some friends from up north that uh, had contacted us and said, why don't you just get away for a week or so and come up. And so we headed up north and that's been a week, but uh, it really was a, a tough round of chemo. But God's been faithful and uh, he continues to give grace and strength every day. And we just rejoice in the lessons that he's given to us. As you know, over the last while, uh, we've sort of spent lots of time in Psalms. That has been just a, a real place of refuge for me. Over the last couple of years, or really since the cancer started, but especially over the last while, uh, the book of Psalms has just been a, a place that I could go and and uh, the Lord challenged me and speaks to me and comforts me and strengthens me and gives me all those good good gifts that, that only he can give, the peace and joy and so on. And so this morning, I want to speak to you from Psalm 17. So if you have your Bibles there, but... Through my uh, the, the last few weeks, I, I've been focusing basically on two people in the Bible, believe it or not. Joseph, uh, I've read actually uh, uh, almost three books on Joseph in the last week, uh, besides what the scriptures teach about him, but also David. And my round with David started basically back last spring, when the Lord really put it on my heart to... Uh, to to speak to, in my heart, the, the Psalm 23. And, and Psalm 23 is not just a, a psalm for funerals. Uh, it is one of the richest passages of Scripture you could ever, ever ask for. If you really want to. It's a passage everybody knows, and yet they seem to only understand it in light of verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, it is a great comfort, but that psalm is so rich beyond what we could find regarding the grave or funeral service. And as I begin to, at that, and, and spent quite a bit of time both studying it and, and speaking on it, uh, uh, other things from, from David began to, to come out in, my, uh, in the scriptures for me. If you would look at, at David, David was an amazing man. Think about David just for a minute. 
if you begin to sort of put things together very quickly, you'd remember David was a shepherd. Okay, That's sort of a given, isn't it? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, but who wrote that? A shepherd, David. You go through. David was a soldier, even while he was a shepherd. For instance, the story of David and Goliath. David was was a shepherd that had been sent by his dad just to see how his brothers who were enlisted in Saul's army were doing. And David wound up being not just the shepherd, but the soldier there. Later on, David was a sovereign. He was the king. And as sovereign or as king, David still was a soldier. And that put certain limitations on David later on in life because he was a man of blood. So he couldn't build the temple and so on. David not only was a shepherd, a soldier, a sovereign, he also was a songwriter. And and I, I if you go through the Psalms, we know that David wrote at least 73 of the 150 songs. And I personally believe he wrote 75 of the 150 psalms because there's two psalms in the New Testament that the New Testament-inspired writers attribute to David where the inscription of the psalm does not mention David's name. And so I believe if God inspired it, and and these writers who were inspired in the New Testament quotes David and and uses David's name, then I I, I would give credit to David for those other two psalms. Not only was he a a shepherd, a soldier, a sovereign, a songwriter, he also was a sinner. And of course, this is where we can all sort of begin to really identify with David. Well, I shouldn't say we all. I can identify with David. Okay, there's no question that when we look at David's life, as great a man of God as he was, David was not perfect. David understood God's holiness and God's righteousness. David understood God's mercy and God's God's grace and God's love. And David especially understood when he was confronted with his sin, his sin. And David, uh, so he was a sinner. Well, let's add one more S to this list. He also was a saint. He was a saint. He was one who God chose to set apart for himself. He was a saved man. If you read through the Psalms of David, you would find so many times he recognizes that God is the rock of his salvation. God's his, his savior. And, and so he understood what it meant to really have that personal, intimate walk with the Lord that we in the New Testament call salvation or saved. He had that relationship with his God. But as a saint, what has really struck me, and it's a truth that I've known for years and years, and in fact, Dennis, when he said the first time he heard me speak, he came up with his phrase there. I don't know if he remembers the subject that I spoke on that subject. <laughs> it was a fact, Jack. <laughs> but what did I speak on? I can tell you that what I spoke on that Sunday at Guelph Bible Chapel. Psalm 51, based on David's sin and his great confession. His sin with Bathsheba. All right, going clear back there. And David, the amazing thing about David, we read in the scriptures that David was a man after God's own heart. And that ought to be the desire of every man and every woman, every young person, boy, and girl here this morning. 
That ought to be the desire of your life. I want to be a person who is known as a person after God's heart. Are we? Is that what we're really pursuing? Are we pursuing to, to be that person that, that, listen, no matter what, I want to, I want him to be pleased with me, my life. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, really in a sense where we're first introduced to David in, a, in, in one way, when the Lord had sent Samuel to go and find somebody to replace King Saul. God told, the Lord told Samuel, he said, The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord, what does he do? He looks on the heart. All right. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, we read, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have kept what the Lord commanded you. And then in Acts chapter 13, we read, And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Do you want to be a person after God's own heart? We're going to look at the heart of David a little bit this morning. But what made David that kind of man? Wasn't because he was a sinner. It was because he knew how to repent from his sin and acknowledge his sin before God. But as I went through the Psalms this past week, in preparation for this morning in Psalm 17. I went through different psalms that have in the inscription, a psalm of David. And someone will say a psalm of David when, or they'll give you the circumstances why David wrote the psalm. Psalm 17 does not give to us the circumstances. It simply says, a prayer of David in most Bibles. All right? We read that. You're probably, I don't know what yours might say in the inscription. Mine just says a prayer of David. Okay. So as I went through the Psalms and looked through, what makes a person a man or a woman after God's own heart? And I began to look very quickly, just going through the Psalms, the various Psalms David wrote, and what characterized David. What made him a man after God's own heart? David was a man after God's own heart, and Acts is the one that confirms this for us, because he did the will of the Father. He was the one who would do all of God's will. Now, we ask you that embarrassing question. Do you do all of God's will? We like to pick and choose, don't we? There are parts of God's will I like to do. There are parts of God's word that, hey, that's kind of tough, you know. And yet, God's will. <clears throat> so, does God's will. But here's some other characteristics of David. David was reverent. He knew how to worship God. Let me, again, there are, there are many psalms that you could go through for all of these, but, but just over Psalm 18. 
And what does David say in Psalm 18, verse 3? He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. David knew that God was worthy to be praised. <coughs> and when David writes that psalm, I think the psalm, we find out that he's surrounded by enemies. And yet David has such a respect and heart for God that he says God needs to be praised, even in these difficult circumstances. In Psalm 27, 1, or Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5, David was man after God's own heart because David had faith. What was the word this morning that kept coming out in the quiz? Faith. The just shall live by faith. By the way, let me back up for a second. Professor Steve here. You guys don't worry about the exam. He was a good teacher. He taught you. Okay. He did his part. Now it's your part. But you didn't do one thing if you're worried and upset right now. You learned what he taught you, but you didn't learn him. Okay? Every professor, there are certain things. If you learn to read the professor, you know exactly what they're going to expect from the test or whatever. My students never caught on. I taught, taught at Bible school for a number of years, and they never caught on. But when I gave, except for the... For the uh, uh, Essay questions. If they would follow through the other parts, the multiple choice, true, false, all these, every question on the quiz was asked, answered somewhere else in the questions that I asked. Nobody ever caught on. So, next class, after you finish prophecy, also learn the professor. And then you won't panic, Linda. You ought to know him better than anybody, but you don't have to panic. Okay? And I'm sure he will extend extra grace to all of you. Uh, it's hard for him, but he'll do it. Okay. <laughs> all right. I just had to get that in. All right. So there has to be that faith and trust. Also, there has to be that love for the Lord. So many times when you read through the scriptures, it is evident as you read through the Psalms, again, that David just loved the Lord. He, he loved uh, to, to be in, in God's presence. Uh, David's one that tells us about, about things uh, such as, uh, uh, you know, his desire to be in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, and so on. In Psalm 18, 1, it says, I will love thee, O Lord. Say, Don't you respond better to people when they love you? You say, that's what makes you after God's own heart. You, you love him. And I tell you, he responds, doesn't he? We also find out, for instance, in Psalm 91, if you go back a few Psalms, David was a man after God's own heart because he loved to declare the works of the Lord. Do we? David was a man after God's own heart because he loved God's word and was obedient to it. Read Psalm 119. Now, years ago, I was invited to speak at a Gideon uh, regional uh, conference at, at the, up in the uh, Midwest uh, Ontario at one of the big camps and, and <clears throat> I chose to speak on Psalm 119 and I gave myself the challenge to memorize Psalm 119 
dumb. <laughs> I worked on it. I can say I got through it probably once. I couldn't quote all the psalm, but there are so many precious verses about God's word. And David says, I love your word. And, and he speaks so much about that. He loved God's word because it protected him from sin. Verse 11. For with all shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Memorize the scriptures. You never get too old. It's harder, but you never get too far along in your Christian walk that you do not need to hide God's word in your heart. Because when it's in your heart, then you can meditate on it. And I think one of the, the greatest disasters in the Christian life today is that Christians don't know how to meditate on the Scriptures. We read it. We say we, we do our Bible studies. We take our exams. But are we meditating? <laughs> I love our pick on you, Steve. <laughs> but we need to meditate on God's Word. I couldn't tell you the number of, of messages, the number of truths that God has fixed in my mind, not sitting in a desk study, driving down the road, out for a walk, whatever, and a scripture going through my mind, and all of a sudden, wow, why didn't I see that? It's meditating on the scriptures, thinking about them as we grow. It protects us from sin, it relieves us from affliction, it gives us peace. It's something that we should delight in, meditate on. All of these things David says in Psalm 119 that he does with God's Word. And then we also find out that David was a man after God's own heart because he knew how to repent. I'm afraid repentance is a lost truth today among most, excuse me, most Christians. Years ago it was omitted from the gospel. No longer do you repent and believe. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is still a part of salvation of the gospel. Not of works, but it's a willingness to acknowledge I'm a sinner and I'm, I want to, to, to turn from my sin. And David did this. David, remember that Nathan came to him and told the parable uh, of, uh, of the, uh, the, the guy that had money and sheep and everything and there was a neighbor that just had one one little lamb that he just the neighbor loved. You know, and and he took that lamb to feed a guest. That David reacted. And then Nathan simply said, You are that man. Broken. Repentant. And that was a turning point in David's life. Repentant. A man after God's own heart is humble. Is humble. Again, if you read through the life of David as king, there were times where he could have could have taken and he could have destroyed Saul, but he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointing. He was a humble man. And he was a man who was who glorified God and was thankful. Again, all of these things come out in the Psalms that David it's not easy to be a person after God's own heart because it's contrary to what we are in our humanity. But thankfully, greater is he that is in you. Okay. We've got the answer. We've got the help. And we need 
serving you that. So let's go to Psalm 17 now very quickly. Psalm 17 simply says in the inscription, a prayer of David. Of many of the Psalms, again, as I said, in the inscription, I'll give you an event that the that the uh, uh, translators uh, felt, well, this is probably why David wrote this Psalm, or this is a circumstance that prompted it. We, again, remember the inscriptions are not inspired. All right. They're added there for man notes to aid in some study, but they're not inspired. But this Psalm, as you look at it, this psalm could, as you, as you go through this prayer of David, this psalm could fit dozens and dozens of circumstances in David's life. All right? So I think I'm glad that it doesn't give us a specific circumstance. Because it causes us to realize that no matter what situation you're in, what your circumstance is, no matter how much you're hurting, or no matter how, how happy you are, whatever, all right, prayer is a key. And so David prays. The psalm basically shows David's amazing trust and in, in the Lord. He has no confidence in himself, but he has confidence, he has trust, he has faith in his Lord. Now, as we look through this prayer, and we're going to have to go through quickly because I've stood up here and said enough really already. Three things that I want to point out. There, there are many, many requests, but I've said there are three requests. Because under each of the three requests, there's sort of sub-requests that come from that. All right, And we do that when we pray, don't we? Okay? You pray for Jack Carell. Uh, you pray that whatever you pray, but in that you'll probably pray that he'll have strength. You'll probably pray, you know, and you'll have sub-requests that go around that primary request. Will you pray for your children? Will you pray for... for Whoever, you know, you have primary, but you have requests that flow out of that. The first request is, Lord, hear me. That's verses 1 through 6. The second request is, Lord, hide me. That's verses 7 through 9. And the third request is, Lord, help me. Verses 10 through 15. So it's really an easy psalm to follow through. Remember, it's a prayer. And David has three primary requests. Hear me, hide me, help me. Okay? Now, let's look at the first request. Verses 1 through 6. Lord, hear me. Let me read verses 1 through 6. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer that goes out, that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold things that are equal. Thou hast provided my heart, excuse me, have proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing. I am, pur am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in the path that my footsteps slip not. <clears throat> I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear and, uh, unto me, and hear my speech. So, Lord, hear me. And notice how David prays. David is praying, but it, his prayer is a cry. It's a prayer of passion. It's not just, Lord, I hope you'll 
It was, he, he was crying out to the Lord for help. It was a, a prayer that he would call uh, here that, that he basically calls upon the Lord. Right? He's crying out. He's calling upon the Lord. Two great definitions of, of kinds of prayer that we can pray. That which is a passionate uh, uh, plea and cry that uh, because it's beyond our control. The other is acknowledging I've called upon the Lord. You know, you're the only one, God, who could help. And so David cries, hear me. We don't know what David was suffering. We don't know what, why, who, where, when. We don't know any of those circumstances. But basically, David, and he says, hear me. He wants God to hear three things. He wants God, first of all, in asking God to hear him, he says, God, examine me. You know my heart. You hear my cry. You know I'm calling to you. And he's really saying, exonerate me. Notice the very first words in this song. As you go through, he says, hear the right. Okay? Hear the right. I'm not so sure that that's as easy to pray as it sounds when you read it. God, you hear what's right. You hear what's just. You know. I think when we pray, God, you know I don't deserve this, so would you please? No, no. God, you hear what's right. right? You know my heart. You know the circumstance. You know the end of the beginning. You're omniscient. You don't miss anything. You see it all. God, hear the right. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. Because it's going out. It says It's not coming out of lips that's trying to cover up. That's vain. He says, God, you know. And so, as he says, in verse 2, David cries out here, examine me. He's saying, my prayer is not from deceitful lips, Lord. I, I, I want you to deal with me openly, honestly. Okay? Exonerate me. And then, uh, if you examine me, excuse me, in verse 2, it's exonerate me. So examine me, then exonerate me. You know the truth, Lord. You know what's right. In fact, he goes on and says, you've tested my heart. You visited me in the night. I've hid nothing from you. You've tried me and found nothing. Can we say that? God, you've tried me and you found nothing. Again, over the last few weeks, two weeks specifically, uh, for several days, a total of three or four days, two hours of sleep at night. Tell you, I knew what night seasons were like. I knew what it was like to, to struggle and try to examine myself and be honest before the Lord. And, and as you go through, again, God has visited me several times. And I tell you, though I was tired and sleepy and couldn't sleep and so much energy that I had to get up and just study and be at the computer because I couldn't. And, and 
they'll tell you that when I lay down in bed, I'm normally just done. I'm asleep. I've never experienced what I've experienced. And, and that, that just being able to not sleep, and yet to sit there and, again, know God was visiting me through that. And so he says, through this, David came to one purpose specifically. He said, I purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. David wanted to listen. You know where the majority of our problems start? Our tongues, our mouth. And David made a purpose here. And I believe part of that purpose was, I'm going to thank you, Lord. I'm going to praise you no matter what. Not always easy. And then he says, I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer by the words of your lips. What's the key? David can purpose, but what's going to give us the strength? The words of your lips. Speaking of God. God's word is where our power is. So examine me, exonerate me, and then he says, and exercise me. Right? He says, uphold me, verse 5. Uphold me. Hold up my goings and thy path, that my footsteps slip off. David says, I've purposed. But you've got to do it, Lord. You've got to help me. You've got to exercise me. You're the one that's got to do it. And he reminds again in this. Lord, I've called upon you. You will hear me. Incline your ear. Hear my speech. God, I can't. But you can such a hard lesson to learn. I can't, but he can. So, David's first request, hear me. His second request is hide me. And this section is why I wanted the song under his wings. But David, in his second request in verses <coughs> 7 through 9, says, show me thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against thee. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me. Request, Lord, hide me. Show your loving kindness. Notice it's not just loving kindness, it's marvelous loving kindness. Do we realize just how amazing God's mercy, God's loving kindness is to us? I think we fail it. In many of the trials that many of you have gone through, God gave you grace to get through it. 
But do you realize how marvelous his loving kindness is? Loving kindness is sort of that combination that, that includes mercy and grace and love all bundled up together. And so David says, show me your marvelous loving kindness. Again, as you go through this and look at it, David says, that loving kindness, how you save by your right hand. And again, the right hand is so important when we look at in the scriptures and, and see that the, the Lord, David basically is, is saying, that's a place of safety. That's the place of your strength. That's the place of your power. And David realizes that he needs all that from the Lord for his deliverance. But verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. And secondly, keep me, he says, or hide me under the shadow of thy wings. What is David saying when he says, keep me as the apple of the eye? Right. David realizes, and David understands, I believe, even though he was a shepherd, he understood a whole lot about science. And he understood the importance of this apple of the eye. The apple of the eye, the word apple of the eye is translated three different ways in the Old Testament. It's translated apple, it's translated pupil, and it's translated black. Keep me as the black, that dark spot in the middle of the eye. In other words, David is asking here when he talks about this, and he's telling God, God, I want you to keep me as the very center, focal point of your vision. And that's not selfish. When David asks that, he says, says, don't let me out of your sight, God. Keep your eye on me. Partly because David understood how sinful he was. But he also understood how righteous God was. There's no part of our body more precious, more tender, or really more carefully guarded than we guard our eyes. Now, through the years... I've had lots of problems with eyes. Okay, I, my as as a kid, I was constantly having to go to the to the doctor to get something pulled out of my eye. I have an extremely soft eye, and a little bit of sawdust, concrete splinters, whatever, constantly having to go to the doctor because it, it immediately embedded itself in the eye. So I know how precious and painful the eye is can be, but then. A number of years ago, I came down with extremely rare eye disease. Uh, not iritis. Most people think iritis, but actually it was scleritis, which was an infection in the, in the sclera, however you pronounce it, of the eye. And it took doctors a long time before it was ever diagnosed, so they knew how to treat it. Thankfully, I haven't had any problem for years with that. But you go through, the eye is so tender. And we have to protect it. And so David is saying, God, I want to be under your protection. I want to be in that black spot in your heart. In fact, it's interesting. If you would, would read a Hebrew translation of 
of the pupil or the eye uh, of the eye or or the uh, uh, black spot as as we call it. They would translate they translate it this way in their the Hebrew translation. It says, "Keep me as the little man in your eye, or little daughter in your eye." Okay. Now, what's more precious than a child? And David said, basically, say, "Look, keep me as a precious little one. Keep your eye on me." Is what he's telling us. But it's also interesting if you read, and, and you can actually get pictures of this online. You go through when you look into someone's eye. If you really look close and the, and the light's just right, what will you see in their pupil? You'll see a reflection of yourself. Okay. Now, interesting. David says, "When you look, just just see my reflection." And I want to see my reflection in your eye, so I know that you are. Interesting, the word, the way it's used. And so, the psalmist is saying, protect me as you protect your eyesight. And I can tell you, there's no safer place to be than under God's sight, God's care, God's protection. And then he goes on to, to one of my favorite pictures in the Bible. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. <laughs> the other morning, <clears throat> I forget which morning it was, it was partly cloudy, and I had to go into Kingston. And as I went in, as I was traveling, uh, there was a, a big dark cloud overhead. And beyond that cloud, of course, was the sun. But as I was driving down the road, Looking ahead, what did I see? I saw the shadow, a shadow from that cloud, and it was going the same speed, same direction, everything as I was. And I drove halfway to Kitchener Waterloo, following, and to me, hide me in the shadow. And that, of course, I was had been thinking about this song, meditating on it. Wow, the sun. If it's if I'm not protected from the sun, I'm in trouble. But there's a shadow. There are enemies out there that want to destroy me. Want to destroy me. But God's shadow is there. Protecting us. And it's going where we're going. When we're going. As fast as we're going. Whatever. And so he says, hide me under the shadow of your way. I remember lots of stories as a child. <coughs> of the mother hen. The Lord Jesus speaks about this in, in Matthew in the, uh, 23. He talks about uh, he, he wanted to gather Israel as a hen would gather the chicks under her wing. Well, I can remember in Illinois years ago when I was a young boy, they still had, they were phasing out the old steam engine on the railroad track and they were introducing the diesels. At our house, uh, was right beside a railroad track, and a mile up the road was my grand grandfather's farm, and where my uncle and my dad started farming, and my uncle farmed. And, and I can remember in Illinois, during the month of late June and early July, all the farmers were actually on edge. Why? Because these old steam engines 
sparks coming out of the of the stack of, of the steam engine, sparks from the, the steel against the rail, and the wheat was ripe to harvest. And I can remember the, the farmers being on edge because of the fear that they'd lose their entire crop. And wheat was basically crop in Illinois. And, you know, we livelihood. And so it was that even out in western uh, Canada and Manitoba and so on, they worry about this. And the story was told, you know, and I experienced in Illinois on many occasions where that would happen. Fire. Crop would be destroyed. But the farmer would go out in the field during the, the later part of the day and he'd go out there, walking along, how am I going to provide clothing, whatever, for my family? And he's going along and he sees a charred body of one of his chickens. You know, these chickens, they were out free range, they call it today. They were out for the purpose of feeding their babies. They were out there with their little ones. You know, the grains and grain would shatter off. They were just having a feast of all. And all of a sudden, this fire starts. And it's raging from the railroad track toward the farmhouse. And so what does the farmer do? The only thing he can do. He goes out to the edge of his, his barnyard and he'll start another fire to burn out, hoping that it burns far enough out that it just dies there in the middle of the field because there's no more fuel to keep closer to the house. And so the farmer had gone out, he had done this, the fire had met, the fire had died down, and in his anguish, he goes out. And as he's walking along in the field, he sees this charred body one of his chickens. And in disgust and worry, how much have I lost? What am I going to do for my family? And anger, he kicked that charred body. And that screwed a whole bunch of those baby chicks. You see, that mother hen, she could have gone over the little backfire and escaped herself. But she loved her babies. And she didn't want to do that. And so there she is. Only one thing I can do. She begins to pluck and call her little baby chicks in under her. And I've seen this happen. And she'll ruffle herself out. And the little chicks will come in at her. And she'll just sort of float down on top of them to protect them, keep them warm at night or whatever. And I can just imagine. <clears throat> if it were me, I don't know about you, Jake, but if I was out there and enjoying a good meal of, of some wheat, you know, and Mama said, come on, come on, get in here, get under me. I said, oh, Ma, food's too good, not me. What would have happened? We would have suffered. We would have died. But the mother, I'm afraid sometimes chickens are smarter than we are. They all come under her. And the mother gave her life that her children could live for Jesus. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of the picture that David is showing here, the protection, the safety, when we're hiding under the shadow of his way. Right? And so we find that. And my question is to you, are you under his wings. Here this morning, 
I'm sure that, that each one of you here would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Examine your heart. Are you really a true believer? You're not a believer because you attend Faith Bible Chapel. You're not a believer because uh, you, you go to church or you, you've done certain things. Are you under the shadow of his wings? The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross bore your sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. He hides us. Do you realize what the, 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 the shadow of God's wing is? Now, I've got some amazing pictures that I'd love to show you all sometime. But pictures of chickens with, with the babies under the wings, chickens of Canadian geese, chickens of swans, or pictures of swans with babies, the protection, balloons, all kinds. It's a beautiful picture of the place of safety. But under his wings, let me tell you, under his wings is a place, if you're a believer, it's a place where you can retreat. You can just go and relax because you're safe. It's a place of retreat. I think that's what Psalm 178 is telling us in, in David's prayer. Under his wings in Psalm 36 verse 7, it's a place of redemption. It's a place where we are not only safe, we are saved. Psalm 61, it's a place of rest. Verses 2 through 4. In Psalm 63, verse 7, it's a place that we can rejoice because of the love and, the, and, and the, all that we experience under that place. And Psalm 91, verse 4, it's a place of refuge. You're in danger, it's a place of refuge. You just escape there. And so I would be doing you a misjustice this morning if I did not ask you the question are you under his wings under his wings safety of life are you that's a question I have for you well let me just mention David's third request we won't spend time here you can take it now and run with it but his third request is Lord help me David is saying to the Lord, Lord, I know you, I know you know my situation, but, but I need to explain it to you. <laughs> How often do we try to explain something to the Lord? And, and here in verse 10, David begins to explain. He says, They're closed in their fat, their mouth, they speak proudly, they uh, they now compassed in our, us in our steps, they've set their eyebrows. God knows all that. But I tell you, sometimes we pray. We have to tell God, not so that he knows, but so that he can see that we know the circumstance or situation that we're in. And so when you get down to verse 13, what does he say? He said, Lord, deliver my soul from the wicked. Right. So what's he crying out? Help. Deliver me is his cry. And then, let me just close with verse 15. David's great confidence. We have the wicked enemies in verse 11 and 12. We have the Lord's help in verses 13 and 14. But we have David's confidence in verse 15. David says, 
David says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Is that your confidence? No matter what's going on around us, no matter what our circumstances, as a believer, I can't lose. You can't lose. Because someday I'm going to be with him and I'm going to be like him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we, now are we the sons of God, and it not, doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. What's your hope? What's your hope? Release from pain? Or the assurance? God's protecting me and someday I will be with him. And at that time, for the first time, I will be like him. We are blessed. So remember, the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. David was a man after God's own heart because he did all of God's will. God was confident that David would do all of God's will. How about you? You want to be that person after God's heart? Get in the book and start obeying. Live according to the word. Remember those horrible hard words that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's gonna who's gonna enter? But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. God's will, first of all, for you is your salvation. Do you know him? If you do, God's will is then that you be obedient in your walk every day to his word. Where you at? Where you at? Let's pray. Father, for your word, we give you thanks. Living, powerful, life-changing, that which we should delight in, it feeds our souls, Father, it's the, the word that tells us of this great salvation. That we are sinners, that Christ died for sinners. And Father, that we can have the joy of knowing and walking with you, the living God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for giving us the privilege of being here. And love living that November 17th. Thanks to Dave. We're looking forward to being back again. Nice to see you.